Struggling for Purpose for Tuesday, March 31st, 2020. My name is John Wilkerson, and we're still taking a break from the Failure Series, and today I'm joined by Jeremy Smith, who is the co-occurring program coordinator and a licensed professional clinical counselor at a community mental health center. Jeremy has a history of working as a ministry director for Youth for Christ for eight years and then working as a mental health and substance abuse counselor in Colorado and Ohio, specifically running an opioid residential treatment center. You can also hear him every week on the Church Mag podcast. And from what I gather, he plays a mean game of Minecraft. Jeremy, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Let's dive right into it. And let me just ask you straight out, on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate the church's handling of mental health issues? So I want to, I want to answer this first by saying that this is a really good counseling question. If you were to be a counselor sitting in a room or even pastors, I would encourage if there are any pastors listening to this, this is a really good question because this allows the person to evaluate where they're at for themselves and what they see it, everything happening. And so if you're sitting in and having a marriage counseling session or someone that's struggling with an addiction or depression and you say, where are you at on this scale? Like worst case scenario, 10, where you're at right now. A lot of people, times people come in and they're like, this is the worst thing in the world. This is everything that's terrible for me. It's like, if you stub your toe in the middle of the night when your child is up sick and you forgot to eat dinner, you're just super frustrated. To be fair, in the grand scheme of everything going on, it's really not that bad. But in that moment, it feels like a 10. So when you asked this question, I'm, my first thought was, that's a great counseling question. So I like that. Oh, good. Um, a scale from 1 to 10, mental health with the church, I, I'll give it actually a, a scientific answer of this. Of It's probably like a 2 or a 3 if 10 is we're doing amazing. Like we're hitting out of the ballpark. Um, Lifeway did a research study several years back. They actually just did one this year for developmental disabilities, thinking they are doing spectacular. They, they surveyed a whole bunch of pastors and then congregation members that did not have special needs and then people that had, did not have mental health issues. And they said, it is going great. We're providing all the services. And then for the mental health one that they did several years back, they interviewed people that were receiving service and they said, no, you're, you're really not. The scores were significantly lower. So we're not doing a great job and we're completely unaware, which makes us not put any more resources into future things, making us fall even further behind. Um, we haven't heard from people with developmental disabilities, and I'm afraid LifeWay might not be doing that part of the research, um, but we know for a fact that they're not serving people with disabilities. And so I would say we're, we're probably at a two or three right now, and that would be my own estimate as well. So that's that's pretty pessimistic. What's the church doing wrong then? Well, think of it as pessimistic or think of it as a growth opportunity. Think of it as if we're being church, I mean, one of the things that happened, there's a, several different mental health and disability ministries. And to get churches on board, instead of saying, how dare you guys do this? Why are you guys doing this wrong? Which in some regards, I want to say, um, a lot of people are also saying, you guys want to reach the the community for the gospel, we know the largest group of people are not being served right now. Who are you serving that has mental health needs and disability needs for the gospel? How many ministries out there are doing this? Very, very few. And it's over 10 million people that are not being served right now as the guesstimate for this. 
And that's a conservative guesstimate, knowing that there's over 100 million people in the United States that have either some kind of disability, hidden disability or some kind of mental health issue that they have or are currently struggling with or have family members that also deal with it. So you have someone with autism that they're struggling with that, then the family members and the family members, the family members are probably also struggling with that as well. And so push it as this is a growth opportunity. This is something that people can grow into to be able to do that. And so the question is, is how do you grow into that? How do you improve your approach for that? Um, there's two different resources out there and I'm going to give them to you as go read them and then figure out how you can do this. The first one is mental health in the church by Steve Kersvich. He's a, a Cleveland psychologist, the Christian that asked that question of how to do it well. And then there is um, a book called Trouble Minds, and it's by Amy, who used to do a lot of editing for Lifeway and some other resources. And she looked at it from, my mom had schizophrenia and the church just dropped the ball. And so it was a very personal look at what can people do. And I give those two answers because I think each church is different. I I don't necessarily know what we need to do. And I don't think that each church needs to be doing exactly the same thing. Otherwise, we're missing the mark. We need to fill in the gaps where they're needed. So when it comes to dealing with mental health uh, for Christians, how does that differ? Does it differ? And should it differ from dealing with mental health for non-Christians? Yeah, that's a good question. Can I, can I, I don't think anybody's done this for your podcast, at least the different ones I've listened to. Can I ask you the question back real quick and then feed off of that? Sure. If you were coming into a counseling session and it was a parenting issue, a personal issue, a marriage, or maybe it's just that things aren't great and you want to get out of a rut. It's not like the world is ending, but you, you definitely need a pick me up. The coronavirus is happening the market's in a slump and you want to just be able to put your best foot forward for this next phase of life. And you know, you're a Christian and your counselor is a Christian, but you don't really know. They don't go to your church. Not even sure what their denomination is. What would you expect when you sat down in that counseling chair? I would expect them to fold in uh, my belief in God and my faith in God with common counseling um, methods and tools that that they've been taught. I would agree with you. I think that that's a little bit harder to find than you would expect. Yeah. Um, but I will say that's one of the big, this is a secular foundation, a secular program in general, as far as counseling is concerned. It's run, you have to get licensed. You have to, follow all these rules, even if you follow all the laws, you can be unethical or immoral in how you do that. And so you can actually lose your license and get sued because of that. So there's a lot of different things that we fall into, but one of the guidelines, there's five pillars that you're looking at, the biological, the psychological, the emotional, the social, I think I said that all correctly. And then the fifth one is the spiritual. And there's actually a really strong spiritual com- component that goes into counseling. Not that I need to know how to speak Buddhist or Hindu or anything like that, because I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to do that well. But I do speak Christian language really, really well. And so when a Christian comes in, 
I can't incorporate that. So now there's also been this issue within counseling of you cannot proselytize, which is 100% true. If you think right. about it, if someone is struggling with anxiety and depression and trauma, they're in a very vulnerable place. And that's not appropriate to bring that into in that moment. Uh, but if they are a Christian and you're not proselytizing and you speak that language, that's actually a really, really strong foundation. So much so that it's been shown in research to help a person be successful. If they are a very spiritual person, their outcomes for success in the end, if they are active and proactive in their faith, is actually, I think it's like 40 or 60% higher than everybody else. So wow. it's actually clinically significant to do. And then as a Christian would be really, really important. I will say as a counselor, less so for them and having them improve their faith, I would say I should be praying for that person anyways. I should be working towards trying to see that person have wholeness. I mean, if you think, I mean, I personally love the, the, teachings of Jesus when he's talking about all of those different um, issues of the blind man and the, the widow and all these different settings. I, I feel like almost all of Jesus's message is go serve those that are lowly or poor or hurting because those are the people that he wants us to reach. And so I, I see this as my mission field, even if I'm not proselytizing in the, in the process. Mm. So you basically have to build off the spiritual foundation that the person already has. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and to be fair, I'm not a pastor and I'm not uh evangelist in that setting. And I think right. that's really, really important to do. Um, and by no means am I not witnessing to people. I'm absolutely doing that. Just not in the counseling session. So one thing that I have noticed is that sometimes people go to get counseling from their pastor yeah when they really should be getting psychiatric help or psychological help yeah and so how can pastors num steer them towards the help that they need because some pastors i, I know that they're afraid that if they direct them to a secular counselor or uh, direct them to psychiatry that the person's going to become an atheist or whatever. So, so, so how, how, how do pastors number one, identify that, okay, they they need more than spiritual counseling. And then how do they direct that person and give them confidence in that recommendation? Yeah. I will say that to your question that you asked first of on a scale from one to 10, how are we doing? I think that if there is one like glaringly bright points in all of this and you need, you need darkness for the light to shine through. So this is a good thing is that the, the community of mental health is being talked about more and more in the church. Um, I'm part of a, several youth pastors because that's what I used to do. I'm part of a couple of pastor groups as well. And every time I'm on there, I'm kind of just like when people are asking for resources and then when everything's finally said and done, I'll go and be like, hey, just so you guys know, here's some resources too. And and so a lot of times I'm just reactionary to the end piece of it. And yet there's these times where this this one person was talking about like these sexual concerns of this this teenager having all these thoughts, this girl having all these thoughts and not sure how to approach it. And some people are like, you need to stand and pray with them. You need to be able to just hear them out and to see if their mind is consuming too much sexual things. It's making it sexual. 
Um, other people were like, no, you need to get them into mental health. And it was just this good conversation of don't assume too much on this end. Don't assume too much on that end. Um, even the same thing when we talk about like kids with marijuana or parents trying to do better or marriages kind of crumbling. I think the important thing, the thing that we talk about in counseling all the time is to work within your competency. So I'm not going to sit down with a client and be like, here's the medications you need because I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a doctor. If I even recommend technically in the legal statement of the law, if I say, oh, you have a headache, maybe you should get some Tylenol after you're done with this, I recommended medication so I can get in trouble with that. So understanding where my competencies lie with things is really, really important. I'm not going to be a pastor, so I can't speak to that piece of it, though I do have a seminary degree, and so I can speak more into it than most counselors. Pastors that have never taken a counseling course should be very, very leery about what that looks like. Now, if you've taken some counseling courses, which some of the seminaries actually require at least one, um, and for others, they actually have a dual seminary for um, pastoral and counseling. They actually have both degrees. Go crazy with it, but you need to know what your competency is. And when you don't know what you don't know, you're really putting people in jeopardy. So our, our church itself actually has a two-session policy. This is as much about knowledge as well as time. And so if the, the time that you have to sit down with the pastor goes more than two sessions, then they need to be referred out to a counselor hmm. if it's going to go beyond that. So now that doesn't mean that it's ditching them to a counselor and then rolling out um, because I would also say that's the concern you had had about having an atheist um, in, at the end of the journey um, is very much a concern. Of, I mean, this is a whole episode that you can have on this of is self-care a Christian value? Mm. And so when you think about that, um, shouldn't we be dying to ourselves and living for the gospel? Should we really be so focused inward and not focused on? And there's a whole conversation about that. The short answer is, is self-care is absolutely Christian value, but at me later. Um, I would say, though, that pastors, when they refer someone to counseling, their job is not done. And that's a really, really hard thing because you have them go to a counseling session. I actually have a whole thing listed on this of what pastors can do when they find a good Christian counselor after they've referred someone to the counselor. Follow up with them. Have them sign a release for the church and have the counselor talk to the pastor to start up a game plan of how to prevent any kind of relapse with any mental health symptoms. What if you start driving them or have a couple of volunteers set up some bereavement so that the mom can go get counseling while the kid is trying to, or the, the kids are coming and visiting with some of the people at church and mom can be focused on herself? What if the church was able to go? There's this casserole idea of when you lose someone or you get the diagnosis of cancer, people bring you casseroles. When you get diagnosed with depression and get put in a psychiatric ward, nobody brings you casseroles. What if we start yeah. bringing people casseroles? That problem with that though is even cancer with all of its time and energy and money it costs is actually less expensive with energy and money than mental health is. And so yeah. you're going to be putting in a lot of effort when you do something like that. So there's a lot that could go there. So I think the short answer is do what you know, and then keep going even after they get referred to counseling after they've needed to be referred. I want to take a moment here and share a quick 
PSA for you. COVID-19, better known as coronavirus, has spread throughout the world. People with chronic and or severe health conditions are at higher risk of complications if they contract the disease. Watch for symptoms such as cough, fever, and shortness of breath. If you are experiencing these symptoms, please call a hotline and or consult medical advice. Clean and disinfect high-touch surfaces. And for more information, please visit cdc.gov slash COVID-19. That's cdc.gov slash COVID-19. Thank you. Now back to the interview with Jeremy Smith. So we're in a situation right now where a lot of people's anxiety and fear and other mental health issues are can be accentuated because yeah. we're in a pandemic people can't get counseling like they could normally get get counseling yeah um so what are some things that we can do if we if we have friends or family that that we know have mental health issues what can we do to help them during this pandemic as pastors or as christians as christians I think that uh, the gospel has always talked about us being in relationships with people, right? And I don't say that as a former youth pastor that every single book out there said, you should be in a relationship with your kids and their parents. I say this as like, when's the last time you talked to your neighbor just to see how they are? Mm-hmm. When's the last time um, you've literally just stopped mowing just to have a conversation? Like you intentionally wave them down just to say hi. Um, how are they doing through this whole pandemic? Do they know um, what's going on with their job and their relationships and their family? Um, how are they, how can you help support them? And maybe that doesn't mean people are coming into your house. My wife is very much guarding. She's the mother hen of my three kids. She's going to make sure that they're healthy and safe. But at the same time, we can still be Jesus to other people. We can check in with others. We can make sure we're making phone calls and Caring about others. I think that this, this is true for the 90-year-old woman that's not going to be able to leave her house. She can still love on everybody else, as well as the young 20-year-old that isn't going to college classes anymore because they move everything online. Everybody can be Jesus to somebody right now, more so than ever. Hmm. Do you have any practical advice for people who may have a family member that's stuck in a house with them right now? that is dealing with anxiety beyond like actual diagnosable anxiety disorder. Yeah. They're actually diagnosed. Um, If they're not already in counseling, then maybe this is a time that you guys can help set up some ways to get people involved in counseling. Um, If they are in counseling, see what else they need to do to help support. Honestly, um, because of all the state of emergencies and national emergencies, counselors have been given a lot of freedom to do whatever they need to do. So I'm having counseling sessions where I'm sitting down with someone saying, hey, do you think this would be a good time just to make sure we're able to talk to your doctor and make sure you're able to talk to your mom if something happens and even like your employer, your babysitter. And we're getting like releases of information all over the place because we can't talk to them without those releases. And because we have those releases, Now we're not only, the clients are almost willing to do anything we suggest, which we have to be very careful and be appropriate with, 
but they're willing to let us talk to their supports, talk to their employers, talk to everybody to make sure this person, this one entity is being successful for themselves. And so if you as a family member or neighbor or friend can be a support for them and be able to hear the counselor and talk to them and listen to them, that's huge Mm -hmm. just to know that there's someone there. And that might be as a Christian to start up a prayer or a Bible study with that person where you just take five minutes to talk to them. You go for a walk for 15 minutes. Now don't go too long because the cops will pull you over and ask why you're out so long, but go for a walk and just listen and talk to them and hear what they have to say and just see what happens. You don't have to have the answers. I think that's really, really important. I think that's where a lot of times pastors kind of mess things up because they want to have a Bible verse for the right time to give this when in fact, you probably just need to listen, hear what they have to say. And then whenever they ask for your help, which is actually more infrequent than you would expect, if you don't have the answer right then, tell them you'll help figure it out. Maybe that means talking to a counselor or pastor or someone else. Mm. Yeah, that's great. So I think one of the things that I can see coming out of this is people are going to have some mental health issues after they're allowed out. We're actually starting to see articles. I read an article the other day about people stuck in the ICU for weeks at a time coming out with PTSD. So how can churches prepare now to handle those mental health issues that are going to arise? Because maybe they're not, someone's not diagnosed yet. They think they're fine now. And then they get in a setting around people and things start to change. How can churches prepare now to handle those mental health issues? Um, I would say that you need to know what your congregation needs. And so um, when when you look at your congregation, does your community, do you know where in your community you would refer someone to counseling? Like right now, you may not refer anybody to counseling because nobody can meet in person. It's maybe hard to get an intake. But does your pastor know who are good Christian counselors to refer to? If you don't, you probably got another three or four weeks of time to go do telephone calls with counselors. If you know that, then how is your community, how is your church helping open themselves up so that people can come talk to you about mental health services? We know that pastors get more people talking to them about mental health than counselors, psychologists, primary care physicians, nurses and several other professionals combined. And so if pastors are the first point of contact, but you're not open in your community, your congregation is closed off from that, it's going to be really hard for them to want to come talk to you about this. Like I said, one of the biggest mission fields right now is mental health and disability. So if your church is known for being able to at the very least talk, you don't have to accept everything. You don't have to agree and believe but open up and talk about what it means to have mental health that can change things. May is mental health month. Maybe this is a time to set up where you can be able to advocate and help support and encourage at the very least from the pulpit, what it means to have mental health within your faith. And it can just simply start with an awareness. Everything we do starts with an awareness. If it's substance use, you have to change the culture to understand that substance use isn't just a moral decision that there's a chemical issue going on. Suicide, there's a whole conversation in the church about is suicide a sin because most pastors would theologically say yes, but most Christians would not. They would say suicide is a sin and they're going to hell. 
It's not. Suicide is a sin in the sense of death, but it is not an unforgivable sin. Even just the conversation of how to help someone with depression, the answer is not just pray it away, though that answer is given a lot. Mm. And so being able to understand and to better communicate that from the pulpit, from the congregation, from the leadership would be really, really important. You don't even have to set up this big elaborate ministry, give a whole room to this, hire an extra staff person. Just simply educate yourself and communicate openness to your congregation. Yeah, and I, I would even add right now, you know, a lot of churches, even though they're they may still be paying rent or mortgages or things like that, yeah, they actually probably have fewer expenses now because people aren't meeting in person. Yeah, and it would be a good idea to set aside some of those funds to help people that need counseling and maybe and maybe can't afford it down the road. I have really enjoyed this conversation. Please let people know where they can find out more about you and some of the services that you offer to churches. Well, first of all, thank you for letting this conversation happen because this is a conversation that's just going to have to happen over and over again. And I think just simply being allowed, this is an honor. So thank you. I think that the the main focus I have is a website called Church and Mental Health that talks about how to intersect faith and Christianity. I'm literally faith with Christianity and counseling. I'm literally living this in the sense of having done ministry and now doing counseling as a Christian counselor. But I think that the conversations for pastors, the conversation for counselors need to happen more. There's not enough resources for pastors with mental health and not enough resources for counselors with Christianity. I want to see that change. I want to see the churches support counselors and counselors support churches so much more because if those two entities did more together and did it well, I really think that a lot of issues, a lot of problems in the community could potentially disappear, not just get somewhat resolved. So church mental health, we talk about that a lot of different ways. I'm always looking to figure out more resources. So if people are like, I wish I had this thing that could do this, I'm always looking on how I can support the church. My last big one was a suicide prevention policy. How does your church respond to that? What can you do more? Um, I know I've got a devotional that talks about mental health for people who are struggling with anxiety or depression. That's going to be out soon. So look for those kind of resources and come ask if you don't have something that you need. Excellent. Jeremy, thanks again for joining me. Thank you, sir. Hey, a big thanks to Jeremy for joining me on the podcast today. Listen, if you um, appreciate these episodes, if you appreciate these podcasts, would you do me a favor and buy me a coffee? You can go over to buymeacoffee.com slash John Wilkerson to show your appreciation. I would greatly appreciate it. It would help pay for the hosting bills. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. And thanks for sticking me in your ears.